Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content, you can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who still hasn't come down from a big weekend, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? This was this was an incredible, incredible weekend for Longwood. I feel like we've been saying that. The spring has been busy. We're going to talk some top 10 Texas. But this was, uh, there was a lot to like this weekend. A lot of good stuff going on. And, and I'm excited to talk a little uh, Texas women's basketball team more than any. They, they've got me, got me riding on a high. Gerald, how are you? I was laying in bed last night at the time of recording thinking about that basketball game. And like, that's what's like sports are supposed to be fun, right? Like that was yeah. <laughs> enjoyable. It felt real fun to do. And that's a feeling that I have kind of missed for the last several years. Before you go on, when you started, you, you said, um, you know, I, I was laying in my bed last night and I thought you were going to do the Lance Harbor speech from varsity blues uh, for a second. Uh, we beat Bingville by, Hey, we'll beat him by a whole lot more than that. Yeah, anyways, I, I may have butchered the, the quote. You know what I'm talking about. But I thought you were Lance Harboring us. I'm, I'm not going to say I'm sad that you didn't. But uh, I always love a good Varsity Blues monologue from either you or me. So uh, maybe we can we can, we can can sprinkle some of that in. Uh, we can still give it a 10. It's okay. So we've got a whole lot to talk about today. Um, Shaka Smart, who was probably on his way out, maybe saved Texas $7 million in the process, took the Marquette job. So we'll talk about that in the fallout. We'll also have Nick Harris from uh, 247 Sports come on and talk a little bit about basketball recruiting. And he uh, went out to Cali to check out Malik Murphy, so we'll get a little bit of Malik Murphy. Baseball went ahead and take the W over the Dirt Burglars over the weekend. We already talked about the women's basketball team heading to the Elite Eight. A big weekend overall. We'll obviously... Uh, hit you with some down the 40. Burn Orange lenses, a lot of Longhorns on the move in the NBA. Uh, we'll close the show out with some Godzilla Tron and some Bang the Drum. So the big news this week, Kyle, after uh, it seemed like he wasn't very long for the world, uh, Shaka Smart decided that he was going to, to take his talents elsewhere and um, decided to take the head coaching job at Marquette, which um, depending on how you uh, – how you want to cite it, it's kind of a win-win-win. So Shaka Smart gets out of his contract at the University of Texas, heads to Marquette where he will be taking over as a head basketball coach, saves Texas, who looked like they may be on the verge of buying him out of the rest of his contract from having to do so. And it also seems like Marquette fans are happy. And so based on the, the press conference he had Monday, this seems like the rare win-win-win for both the departing fan base, the receiving fan base, and the coach when a coaching change needs to happen. Yeah, absolutely. It's been an interesting um, experiment to watch social media from inside and outside of the Texas bubble. Um, national fans, Shaka is a national name. Truly, he's he's you know uh, one of the coaches in the U.S. Uh, men's setup. He he had his famous you know entrance into the the public lore at uh, VCU that ultimately got him the Texas job. But then just being the basketball coach at Texas and and uh, just being a prominent figure in college basketball, he is a national name without a doubt. And uh, and so. There were a lot of folks who may not have followed as closely but knew he was at Texas who saw he's taking the Marquette job and said, oh, I bet Texas fans are pretty bummed. Marquette stole their coach. Um, and I'll just say it's, it's interesting because I think you're right. I think Texas fans were overwhelmingly just happy for Shaka. Like, wow, that's so great. You call it a soft landing. You call it a savings of $7 million. Or I think what it really is is I really think the biggest thing with Shaka Smart, though, is that he's a, he's a great person. And... It's similar with when Charlie Strong left. There was people who, there were many people who were, who were completely done with his tenure and wanted something different. But there weren't many people who looked at it and said, "I dislike this man as a coach." Unless you you say, "Okay, he didn't win, so I hate him." But on a human level, you you it was very difficult to dislike Charlie Strong. And I think similarly, even though he had more success and that's what bought him some more time, on a human level, I don't know that there's anyone who dislikes Shaka Smart. I mean, anyone who's ever met him, anyone who's ever covered him, who's watched him, who's been recruited by him, who's um, ran into him at a, at, a, at a random Panera bread. You know, no one dislikes Shaka. He is, by all accounts, 
anyone and everyone uh, universally beloved. Um, a great human, a great you know uh, developer of, of of humans, mentor uh, and 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 positive figure in people's lives. Sometimes, you know, the basketball thing didn't work out exactly the way we wanted it to. But so in that way, Marquette fans should be excited to get that. I mean, whatever happens on the court, they're still getting a win. And Texas fans should be excited because this is a great chance for Shaka. I, if he is in the Final Four, four out of the next ten years, I will be thrilled for him. I, I, I will feel no malice. You know, I might feel a, a pang of, of, of regret that he wasn't doing it here, but I will be thrilled for him. And I don't know if that's always the way that coaching changes go. Shaka Smart's tenure at Texas feels like, like that will-they-won't-they they relationship on a, on a sitcom where the timing's never right and something always seems to get in the way. And when somebody's <laughs> available, the other one's not. And that just, that just felt like what happened. Like, mm. I don't know a single person that is a Texas fan that wanted Shaka Smart to fail. Right, you never want your coach to fail, and I also can't think of a single person that dislikes Shaka as a person. Right, like you may disagree with his politics, you may disagree with some of the things he says, but like you cannot really discount the fact that Shaka Smart's a high character guy. Mm. He's a high integrity guy. He cares about the student athletes that are under his charge. Like he's everything you want in a basketball coach, save for getting out of the first round of the NCAA tournament. Right, like that's that is really the only mark on Shaka. So, like you said, uh, you know, and I tweeted about it the day of. Like, I'm going to be a forever Shaka Smart fan. I'm not one. Of, I'm not upset. I'm not spurned. Like, I'm 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 mad that it couldn't get it done in Burn Orange. But if he gets it done at Marquette, absolutely more power to you. Very excited for you. And so I'm I'm excited to see what he can accomplish at Marquette. And I think you know he said some things in his in his press conference about Marquette being a basketball first school, and that's very true. Like you know, not knocking Texas for not in, endorsing the basketball program. There's a new stadium coming in a year, so like Texas is supporting the basketball program. But like Marquette is a basketball school, and regardless of wh- how you slice it, Texas is a football school. Will always be a football school. Correct, and Texas can have great basketball teams, but you know, in, in unless football gets abolished, basketball won't have that main seat of Texas, and that's not a bad thing. It is what it is. Um, but I think it's interesting, right? Chaka's only forty-four years old. He's he's got twenty-some odd years left in his career. This reset doesn't feel. It feels like he kind of gets a chance to potentially do what he wanted to do at Texas at Marquette. Look, they're, they are a more, you know, they're a very rich basketball fanatic. He gets to go home to Milwaukee. He was born in 1977, the year that they won their only national championship at Marquette, um, like an hour away from where Marquette sits. Uh, Doc Rivers, a Marquette guy, was one of Shaka's mentors. You know, he, he's he's known the program. He's watched the program. And really the, the, the spot that he's filling in, if you, if you look at it, um, you know, you know, with that success, they kind of went through a dry spell. I think the co- outgoing coach had taken them to like two tournaments in seven years, which is below their standard, but they're not that far removed from Sweet 16 runs in 2011 and 2012. So it's it's kind of similar to the, the Rick Barnes tenure that he was replacing if there was some success and then it, it fell off and they and, and the fans expected higher success and so Shaka could kind of go and do he's almost in the exact same situation he was six years ago at Texas with you know resources people excited thinking he has a chance to be successful um and uh I really truly as you said hope that that is the case I, I really do I'd love to to meet and of course beat Shaka in a national championship one day That'd be the perfect scenario where Texas gets to a you know a, a national championship game under whoever the next head coach is, and it's against Shaka Smart. We get to see him find success. So there was some fallout from it. We the Kai Jones the Kai Jones declared for the draft before that, right? That's not necessarily something that has to go with Shaka Smart. Kai Jones has been really thought to be a top eight guy, top ten guy for a lot of folks, just an athletic freak with incredible upside. Uh, Royce Ham and Donovan Williams also, uh, prior to the announcement, um, announced that they will be transferring two guys that didn't get a ton of playing time this year. So uh, the Texas basketball team is in a little bit of a rebuild mode, a little bit, probably a major rebuild mode for at least another year, if not a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about it a little bit in, in previous podcasts, but I mean, this was the deepest team in the country, but it was built for this year. Um, you, you look just straight down the roster, right? Andrew Jones is technically um, has another year of eligibility, but his, you know, he's like 38. Uh, you know, he's been around a long time. So if he declares it wouldn't shock 
anyone. Matt Coleman has finished his uh, eligibility. Again, all players are eligible to technically come in, but has finished four years. Courtney Ramey has one left, but Greg Brown is a likely candidate for for the draft. Royce Ham has left. Donovan Williams has left. Jace Febris, again, has finished his, his four years, but with an injury, there's a chance that he could decide certainly to come back. Um, Jericho Sims has finished his eligibility. Uh, most likely will declare for the for the NBA draft. Cunningham will come back. Kamaka Hepa will come back. And that's really it for scholarship players. You've already had, uh, you know, the transfers uh, at the beginning of the season uh, with Gerald Liddell and and, and uh, Will Baker. And, and so um, the most depth returning in the country coming into the season now has left not enough players, really scholarship players to fill a roster. So whoever the coach was, Shaka or, or this new coach who obviously now will be coming in was going to have a really, really interesting year. But this roster will, will be very interesting. And I think teams or, or fans of the basketball team should, should expect, unless there's a miracle, that there will obviously be a step down in talent from, from what we had this year. And that's, that's tough to swallow. I understand that people uh, don't necessarily want to hear that, but it, it will take something masterful uh, to replicate even what they had this past year. So like you said, Kyle, it's 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 a going to be a, a tempered expectation year for Texas. Now, again, whoever comes in will very likely hit the transfer market pretty hard. There's a lot of talent in the tra- in the transfer portal, so there's some opportunities to get some instant impact. We saw what, again, we'll talk about in, ju- in a little bit, Vic Schaefer did with some some highly uh, high-profile transfers as he came into the program. So whoever it is will do that. And then obviously there's a recruiting class on its way in. Already lost one member. We're actually going to have uh, Nick Harris join us now to discuss that transition. So Kyle and I have always said that we we know enough to not really know much. We know we know enough to know when we're beyond our depth. And so when it's time to talk recruiting, we always reach out to uh, two of our favorites. And we've got Nick Harris, the newly uh, re-signed Nick Harris, uh, to join us today to talk a little bit of uh, Texas basketball and really just Texas overall recruiting. Nick, man, how you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Good to be back on the show. And and Nick, you're you're talking here about uh, contract year. You've, you've re-signed. I always joke about contract year. Ariza averaging about ten more points. I am assuming the folks at home listening need to know that you're still hungry. You're still out here grinding. You're uh, you're, you're not going to rest on your laurels now that you got the big contract. Oh yeah, the grind's just going to get. It's just going to get tougher. Um, you know, I got to prove to the organization that they made a good investment. Got to get them a ring. Awesome. So Nick, we're we're fresh off talking Shaka Smart leaving for for Marquette and you were the first one out the gate saying that this was likely going to have some uh some recruiting rumblings and and sure enough just a couple days later uh four-star shooting guard Tamar Bates announced that he wants to be released from his letter of intent so just kind of just give us some background on that kind of what went into it and you you kind of expected this uh early on in the process this year in the 2021 class, he was able to land four guys and all four of them had deep relationships with him and none more so than Tamar Bates, the four-star shooting guard from uh, IMG. Uh, He was in his one year at IMG. He was playing a senior season there after playing in Kansas City, Missouri, or Kansas City, Kansas, rather, uh, his first three seasons. And um, yeah, today he he announced that he's going to request a release from his national letter of intent. We had first kind of heard that that was probably going to be the possibility um, on Friday after uh, Shaka Smart had announced that he was going to Marquette. Um, and it's it's basically just because of that relationship that Tamar had with uh, with Shaka, and also Tamar Bates has expressed in the past how he wants to play for an African American head coach at the next level. Um, and so I'm looking at Missouri right now as probably the landing spot for him. But there's going to be a lot of different schools that are going to throw their hat in the ring for him. He's probably one of the hottest names uh, in, in the 2021 recruiting class uh, uh, left on the board right now. And National Signing Day is on April 15th. So if a new Texas co- uh, coach comes in before then. Uh, we'll see if he's going to try to do some damage control to try to, you know, fill that spot in the 2021 class or if he's just going to, you know, turn to the grad transfer market to try and fill his spot. But honestly, at this point, I wouldn't even be surprised if Tamar is the only one. Um, the, there's three other signees in the class. David Joplin from uh, Brookfield, Wisconsin, uh, who also had a really deep uh, connection with Shaka Smart. And uh, it was stemmed from uh, Joplin being from Shaka Smart's home state of Wisconsin. And so if uh, Shaka is able to offer Joplin a spot at Marquette, I'd, I'd be uh, surprised if Joplin didn't go ahead and make that move. And then uh, the other two also, we're just kind of keeping an eye on at this point. Wow. So, yeah, all, like you mentioned, all four players out of out of state, uh, uh, Maureen Ellis and, and uh, Keanu Tierji as well, um, North Carolina and, and I believe Iowa. But uh, w- it, 
you said that there's a portal option, right? And, and it'll be interesting to see. There's a lot of players in the portal, obviously. Um, but is there, I mean, I know it's, it's way too soon. We don't know a head coach. Is there, I mean, is there anyone that you have your eye on that you think could be an addition to this class, whether another player leaves it or just using this slot open? Is there, is there anything that fans should, or any name that fans should know? I know Bates might be the highest rated on the board, but who could be a, a guy that, that could like Texas? Um, I, I think at this point, if, if Texas were to make a Royal Ivy hire, I think a slight possibility would be able to grab uh, a four-star shooting guard from New Jersey, uh, Jalen ba- uh, Jalen Blakes. Um, he's got some other schools on his radar, like DePaul and Creighton. Uh, and Texas has always kind of been right there. But, you know, with the coaching change, uh, I'm not really sure if that kind of changes things with Blakes. Sure. I don't think Texas was necessarily the leader in his recruitment beforehand. But, you know, Royal Ivy kind of coming from that part of the country where he is right now, um, I mean, that's something you kind of factor in. But if I had to give even like a percentage chance of that happening, I would probably say like 20 or 25. Gotcha. For Texas fans, really recruiting because again, it's really just a wait and see mode. Like who who ends up being the head coach and who um, who they can kind of shake the tree on, whether it's the transfer portal or uh, who's left out there unsigned. Yeah, absolutely, and it's most likely going to have to be the transfer portal because the damage control that the, the new coach would have to make and trying to you know sign someone, or build a relationship, and then sign them before April fifteenth, wow, yeah. uh, it would be you know quite quite the work. So. Um, and the only realistic way I see that happening is if Texas goes out and grabs a, you know, a coach that, you know, ha- already has a couple of signees in his own recruiting class that he came from his previous job, if that makes sense. And then maybe he's able to, you know, bring them over to Texas, but the grad transfer market, they're going to have to hammer it hard regardless. Even if they do keep these three signees, they're going to have to pick up six or seven uh, grad transfers. The only name, that I have confirmed heard will be back next season for Texas is Brock Cunningham. So, I mean, uh, there's <laughs> going to be a lot of spots they're going to have to fill. And I, I, you know, one glue guy is worth three, three players on the court, but you still need, uh, you still need five of them to stand out there. <laughs> Absolutely. I would, I, I would love to have five Brock Cunninghams, but uh, you know, this isn't two K. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might, you might win a game two nothing, but they would win <laughs> exactly. a game five Brock Cunninghams. <laughs> with just like 15 steals, 14 blocks. <laughs> you get a triple double <laughs> without points. <laughs> two free throws so nick you're, you're a man of many talents and, and you're, you're the best you, you you do basketball and you crush it really well i think you're the the top guy i'll just say it, probably the top basketball recruiting uh analyst covering texas but you also do a little football you dabble uh on the football side as well and so you just went out to california to, to do a little texas has some some feelers out there but the biggest name out there obviously is malik murphy you got an opportunity to, to see him play live and um, anybody that's been watching knows that maybe um, he doesn't have the support system that he would at, at some other schools but um you as a as an analyst nick what have you seen from him and, and what should texas fans um really expect yeah, the excitement around Malik Murphy has stemmed from his tools and his skill set. Um, he, he, th- both of those things are just something he has that not a lot of uh, 17, 16, 17 year olds have at this point in the game. Um, he has great size, uh, great mechanics. Uh, he can move around in the pocket really well. Um, but the only thing we were, had, had yet to see from him up until, you know, a couple of weeks ago was how does that kind of translate onto the field? Um, he hadn't, he hasn't been able to start, uh, at his high school until, uh, this spring, uh, this is still technically his junior season, this spring that he's playing. They're getting a six game schedule in at, uh, at Sarah in Gardenia, California. Uh, and I was able to go out and see his, uh, week two game against Chaminade. Uh, it was actually on a, uh, on a blue field. It was the first time I'd ever covered a, a game on a blue field. <laughs> I, I always like to throw that out there because it's one of the favorite parts of the trip, but, um, uh, his, like you said, his, uh, his, um, talents around him are kind of limited. Uh, he has a very young team, very young offense uh, with limited weapons. I think probably the strength on on the Sarah team is on defense. They have a couple of safeties and a linebacker that, you know, have really carried the way on the defensive side of the ball. And in that game, it was 0-0 up until four minutes left in the third. So I was just kind of like looking around like, man, when are we going to get going out here? <laughs> so, but Malik, he still shows some, uh, you know, some, some really good uh, uh, pose in the pocket. Um, and he's still showing things that, you know, can really translate to the next level really well. Um, but he, he's still figuring it out and he'll even tell you that, um, he has yet to play his perfect game. Uh, he probably won't this spring. I think expectations on Malik Murphy should be very limited, uh, you know, up until he arrives on campus in Austin and, uh, what I expect to be January. And he's also going to be a guy that won't come in and start year one. And I think even he would tell you that as well. 
Um, he's going to take, you know, a year or two to be under Sarkeesian system. And I mean, if we're asking for anybody in the country to teach a kid like Malik Murphy to be a quarterback, I think Steve Sarkeesian would probably be in the top three, you know, of that, of that list. So um, the skills that he has and, you know, Sarkeesian being able to kind of mold him into the quarterback he wants him to be, I think that'll end up being a solid thing for Texas moving forward. I, you know, I, I, I love that, uh, what you said there. I think that's a, that's a great thing um, about Sark being out there and, and not only Sark being incredible developer of quarterbacks and having that track record and having this system that allows them to thrive. But it's also interesting because you remember Sark is a California guy and I just feel like they'd have a connection. And I'm very curious, obviously Malik is a national recruit. He's a name that rings out. We know it, it, it has had, you know, an effect on recruits across the nation, but I'm curious specifically about that California impact with Sarkeesian from there with our, you know, marquee quarterback being from there. Are you, um, while you're out there and just in general, are you feeling more of a, a vibe as Texas, you know, making rumblings out there? Does this open a huge Cali pipeline? I mean, what are your thoughts on the impact on the California recruiting? Oh yeah. I really like this question. It, it, part of the trip was obviously to go see Malik and see him in person, but another part of the trip and a question I had going into it is, you know, how serious is this California pipeline? Is it something, you know, we should be taking as seriously as like Louisiana, for example. Mm. Um, and I came out of that trip saying yes. And there's a there's a few targets that, you know, Texas is going after really hard right now. And I think best case scenario, they could probably end up grabbing four or five of them and probably worst case scenario, two or three. Nice. Um, most notably, there's a, a, a linebacker out of uh, Bishop Alamany in Mission Hills, which is in the L.A. area, uh, Nawafe Tuahalamaka. Um, so that's ten times fast, <laughs> right? I've I've had to I've had to get used to it. I, I'm not even 100 percent sure that's how you say it, but it's <laughs> uh, he goes by Junior, so you know that's whatever I call him whenever I see him in person. But yeah, yeah, uh, he's a phenomenal linebacker. He's top 75 in the country as far as overall recruits, and uh, he's going to be taking an official visit to Texas with Malik Murphy in June. Um, mm. And I would think Texas is either number one or number two in that race right now. Notre Dame is right there. Uh, I think that's probably Texas' stiffest competition at this point. Uh, and then you also have some regional schools like Oregon, Stanford that, you know, are also vying for his commitment. But uh, I, I think most notably in his recruitment, he's not scared to go far from home and he's already decommitted from USC and he's not looking at UCLA. So he's definitely going to be looking outside of the LA area. Um, that's what I'm keeping an eye on. And then he has a teammate also a defensive end Rashad McKenzie. Uh, Texas is probably right at the top for him. Uh, Nebraska is also heavily involved with, uh, with McKenzie. Um, I, I'm trying to keep an eye on him to see if, you know, he schedules an official visit in June uh, with that uh, California group. Um, and I, I, I could go down the list. Uh, Ernest Green, offensive lineman out of St. John Bosco. That's another one that Texas is going after really hard. A nice. um, couple of wide receivers, C.J. Williams out of Modern Day and uh, Tedaroa McMillan out of Anaheim Servite. So there's definitely, you know, a lot of Texas buzz. And even talking to, you know, some trainers and coaches out there and asking them, you know, how do you feel about this new Texas staff? You know, is it, is it something that, you know, these kids are taking legit, uh, legitimately? And uh, they all say, yeah, I, this, this staff is doing great work out here. And Sarkeesian's definitely tapping into his West Coast ties and, you know, making sure to stay in contact with them. I love it. And again, Texas can be a national brand if they're good. And so having a coaching staff and a coach that doesn't mind going national when the talent is there is not a bad thing. So, Nick, one of the things we like to do when we bring somebody on the podcast is just a ask you some what like what are you doing outside of of this? Because you you you're a man of, of many talents. We've already established that. You've got you're a man of many interests as well. So it's March Madness time. But like, what else are you doing to keep yourself occupied? Man, that's a great question. I ask that I ask myself that a lot. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm a I'm a huge NBA fan. Like even right now, I have the Heat game on in the background. I'm I'm a big Heat fan. It's it's kind of hard to be a Heat fan these days, but uh, we're trying. Um, I'm a big music fan. Uh, just, you know, I'm just kind of a chill guy, you know, I'll sit back and, you know, watch some Netflix at the end of the night and, you know, take it easy and, you know, try not to get too crazy. Uh, I am still in college. So that's another part of it. Uh, trying to stay on, on top of that. So, um, just trying to stay on top of everything. That's really it. That pesky college stuff. I do have to ask you about the heat because they, I thought they might be doubling their longhorn total and they ended up zeroing it out with Avery Bradley leaving and LaMarcus going up north to the nets uh i mean just just you're you're a longhorn guy first and foremost i assume does that does that does that put a dent in how excited you are for for the heat team this year with zero longhorns on it now uh it's, it's not a big deal uh, like when people ask me <laughs> about like my longhorn fandom it, it is what it is you know i if they if they're i I've, i think all longhorn fans have kind of grown to expect you know very limited expectations so uh <laughs> even when it comes to my heat i've kind of you know tried to expect the same things <laughs> fair enough 
Awesome. Well, Nick, we appreciate it. We know you've got schoolwork and family and all of those other things that you want to do. So if people want to, to get more of what you've got to offer, man, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, Nick Harris 247 on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you know, I try to stay pretty active on both. So uh, shoot me a message, say you listen to the podcast and we can chop it up. Awesome, man. Thank you so much, Nick. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good one, brother. Appreciate it. So talking a little bit more success on the hardwood, Texas women's basketball upset the Maryland Terrapins. Gosh, it feels good to beat Maryland 64 to 61 <laughs> to advance to the elite eight Vic Schaefer and the ladies absolutely shut down the top offense in the country held Maryland 30 points, 31, 30.8 points. Below their their yearly scoring average in the contest, held them just sixty one, averaging almost ninety two on the year. Prior to the game, their coach said they were going to drop a hundred on them, and you know what? Sucks to suck. So Kyle, we talked about off the top of the show. Felt good to get a win. Felt good to see those <laughs> ladies having a good time. Like I I would. I've only known Vic Schaefer for about a year, but at this point, I'd probably take a bullet for him. I don't know about you. Oh man, he's just his personality is fantastic, and the results match up with it. I, I love, uh, I love Vic a lot. Um, you know, it, it, it's funny we switched from men's basketball to women's. Whoever the first year coach next year of the men's basketball team, unfortunately, has an unbelievable expectation to live up to because you know Vic Schaefer just uh, went to the Elite Eight in his first year. No big deal. Um, no, I, I I think Vic is incredible. I mean his his. Uh, quote, we tweeted it out, but, um, you know, w- we had some mistakes, had some breakdowns other than the kids did a phenomenal job defensively. All the experts had them hanging 100 on us, and that's fine. But you go into saying things like that, and you better make sure you know who you're talking about. Gerald, <laughs> you said something fantastic on Twitter with that quote. That, how gangster is, is Vic Schaefer, the most, like, southern, you know, uh, proper religious buttoned up gentleman grandpa of a man to drop ether like that on on someone's heads on the press conference. It's incredible. You know, the people that can that can talk noise and make you feel cordial are those types of fellas. <laughs> but for those of us that are that are, you know, the uh the millennials and and newer Vic said ain't no such thing as halfway crooks is what he said. <laughs> He's scared to death they shook. Ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. Like the sure, the man. fact that like I I don't know how else to say this, but like Vic Schaefer is the perfect coach for what that team needed. And I said it on Twitter after after their win in the Big Twelve uh, tournament that Texas is winning because they're tougher than the other team, and because they play whistle to whistle, and because they're play, they're making the tough ugly gritty plays that honestly the men didn't seem to be able to make uh, in the NCAA tournament and like that's why you hire Vic Schaefer when you want a team that's going to gut it out that when you need a team that's going to say you know what I want it more than you and I'm going to prove it that's why you hire Vic Schaefer and as Texas looks at where its kind of newest hired coaches are everything under Crystal Conti we we've talked a lot about coach White we've talked a lot about you know, Coach Floreal, but Vic Schaefer is really, I think, proving that Del Conte knows how to find him. Yeah, and it, it, by proxy, those three three uh, coaches you just mentioned should make uh, should should put some extra shine on the Sarkeesian apple. But uh, um, yeah, Del Conte seems to know what he's what he's doing, and, and and Vic making it look great. But I mean, it's just it's one of those things. I think there is somewhere around the the Baylor. Uh, game in the Big 12 championship when when all year we'd been saying yeah but when someone when when Charlie gets in foul trouble or they're quadruple teaming her and someone else has to step up you know the the the, the cracks show a little bit in the Texas uh, roster and don't worry Vic's already remedied that as well he has three top 10 players and the number one Juco player coming in next year but uh, nonetheless um, you know you saw them give Baylor everything they they could handle and anything they'd want um, without Charlie being in, really involved in that game a lot, and I think 
something about the belief in that team and something about the way that a coach like Schaefer makes his team believe. Look, I don't love Jim Beheim, but somehow Syracuse always makes these deep runs when they don't look like it. There's certain coaches that just know how to win in March and in April, I guess. Um, you know, and, and, and Vic seems to be one of those guys, and I love that. Like, I want my coach, uh, you know, I, I, I'm from the, the, the Greg Popovich rest him and win him in the playoffs type of thing. I want my coach peaking and his team's peaking at the end. I mean, Vic Schaefer is the ninth coach in NCAA history to take multiple teams to the Elite Eight. And and you know the other coach who's gone to uh, the last four Elite Eights? Oh, yeah, Gino Ariema, pretty decent uh, at his job. Just the two, Vic Schaefer and Gino, are the guys who've, uh, the coaches who have done that. So um, you're, you, you landed an elite coach, and it's being proven in year one ahead of schedule. We had uh, we had Alex Gomez on in, before the season when we did our season preview, and he said, "Hey, this is a team that you know is 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 good. They could they they're gonna be good in the future. Vic's gonna get him there. I wouldn't be shocked if he got him to the Elite Eight his first year. And hey, we obviously had the the best pods for Thomas on here because he nailed it. Uh, I mean, here we are, um, and and maybe one person, maybe Vic and him, and 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 maybe the players, maybe fifteen people in the entire country believe this to be a possibility. And hey, good good for y'all. Don't stop believing. I mean, most of those people were probably in the locker room, right? <laughs> like coaching staff, maybe some support staff, but most of those 15 people were in the locker room. And you said that the the fact that you could say that Charlie Collier wasn't really present and she scored 16 and 11, like that's how good the rest of the team was, right? Yeah. And, and Texas was banged up. Um, you know, uh, the Jat hurt her tailbone. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've got players that are um, – that are concussed on what probably should have been a flagrant, but go off and do you like it's yeah. fine. Um, Audrey Warren was, was that, even a question coming in was a question mark. If she was going to be able to play, if she'd be a hundred percent. So, I mean, before the game, getting every last little bit out of these ladies and, and really um, again, exceeding expectations. Like we, we, we thought they'd be good, right? We, we didn't think they'd be elite eight good. We didn't think they'd be Elite Eight good. So now Texas is looking down the barrel of uh, South Carolina, a team that Vic Schaefer, everybody else in the country is scared of, but Vic ain't. Correct. Vic, Vic made his money going at South Carolina. South Carolina rose to be one of the most prominent and best uh, programs in the country at that exact time. Their nemesis, the fly in their ointment, um, was was Vic Schaefer in his, his Mississippi State Bulldogs. He knows that program, those coaches, what they like to do, how to just annoy them, how to maybe go with a team that is slightly less talented and come out with a win. Um, he knows exactly how to do it. I just, I, I don't want to move past quite how good that defensive performance is because I think that's the key to success in the next round. I think they got to the Sweet 16, and, and it's like, wow, an accomplishment because you saw a Maryland team that had won 15 games in a row by an average of almost 30 points a game. They were just blowing people out, the number one scoring offense in the country. Um, a lot of people said, you know, they should have been a, a one seed with the way they finished. They were playing like probably the second best team in the country. So this is a very monumental win. And they did it by just going in and just laying spikes down that popped the tires of that offense, just made it ugly and uncomfortable. And every time calls didn't go their way, every time Maryland got a lucky bounce, every time something happened and it's like, oh, this team could wilt. They didn't. They went in. They went tough. They mucked the game up, slowed it down, and and made plays when they needed to. And even when it seemed like they wouldn't, they stepped up and were and had the fortitude and had the uh you know the the intensity that they could keep going and look like Maryland was gassed at the end and, and Texas was ready to go. I think that's the exact formula that you're going to see them uh, bring to the South Carolina matchup as well. And I think you're absolutely right. And you talked about them responding. No bigger response than how that game opened. Like they they fell down. What was it? Thirteen points. Yeah, and battled back and won that game. Yeah, and that's the mindset that you need if you're going to win a championship. And now again, I, I'm a believe. I, I was a believer that everything past last weekend was gravy. And so everything <laughs> past everything past the elite eight in your first year with the recruiting class that you've got coming in is just gravy. And so I'm excited to see what he can do against South Carolina. And again, keep this train rolling. Yeah, as as, as my friends in uh, in Holland say, it's all lanyard from here. So speaking of rolling, we're we're gonna we're gonna go to the diamond now. The 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 newly minted number five. They were number nine going to number five, top five, Texas, Kyle. Texas baseball <laughs> team takes a series win over the Oklahoma Sooners. Um 
dramatic fashion on Friday, four to three and eleven inning. Saturday, a little bit more breathing room, eleven to six, and then Sunday couldn't quite get it done, three to two, couldn't get the sweep going. Um, we saw Ty Madden look Cuban for the first time this year. Um, you know, it was a, uh, but the bats got it done late, and that's really all that matters. Yeah, I mean, look, I hate to say this, I hate to say this out loud. Um, that's a good OU baseball team. They're going to beat some people. They have uh, good relief and, and, and end of the, the rotation pitchers, pretty decent bats, uh, solid enough starters. They're, they weren't necessarily, I don't think, picked to be uh, a favorite in the, in, in the really, really tough Big 12. And they, you know, they don't have the greatest uh, record this year. But I think by the end of the year, by the, the postseason Big 12 tournament, they're going to be a nasty team that you don't necessarily want to see. And so... I think this is a really, really good series win that they got um, coming through here, and, and I think I think Madden um, getting a little roughed up and and reacting again. When we say Ty Madden, oh geez, he's looking mortal. Uh, six innings and gave up six hits, but also had six strikeouts. So I mean, two earned. It's it's not the worst outing. I think it'll probably light a fire, and whoever has to see him, unfortunately, on the next Friday, we'll get a guy who who's looking to uh, strike the entire lineup out. You know, he's he's gonna uh, have a little chip coming for for the next uh, edition of Friday Night Ties. So, but I was excited that when they needed it, the bats were what got it done, and, and our boy. Our sweet, sweet boy. Hold the door. Doug Hodo. Ugh. Quickly becoming a fan's favorite. Um, did it early and did it late. And, and you know, it did it exactly how Texas needed it. And it was such a beautiful, emotional 11th inning walk-off. Uh, I feel like the team, like their pure joy just seeped out of the TV. And all of us at home uh, or, in, or in attendance watching it just like shared in that collective joy. And, and it was beautiful. Texas was able to win in spite of the pitching, not because of the pitching. And mm. that's not something I think we've seen this year where Texas did not get an ace from their Friday night pitcher. They didn't get an ace from their Saturday pitcher and they managed to, to, to get a win. And so I think as we started the season with concerns about the Texas hitters, the fact that they've been able to answer the bell and again, battle back in some at bats and and i mean even that even that rbi doubled the, the walk off at, at the end of the game you know was it was a chippy battling at bat everything you expect from a from a, a red river game and so again on on saturday they poured it they poured it on um in the middle of the game and that again wasn't really much of a contest um sunday they left a lot of guys that left five on base um which isn't a huge number but still when you when you when it's a one run game uh every runner left off left on base is a uh is one that you wish you had back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th th this team, Pierce, it's interesting. Going from Augie, you knew an identity, right? He was a small ball player. You you, you have your strengths and weaknesses that come with that, but you, if you execute it well, you know what it is. Pierce isn't Augie. He, he has some small ball tendencies, but um, it, it's very interesting, right? If, if you are going to win one-run games, if you are going to um, have some of those small ball tendencies, boy, you better not leave a lot of runners. You better get the guys around the bases whenever you can. The sack uh, bunts and flies better better work out, and, and you better squeeze, uh, you know, every every uh, ounce of juice out of the lemon, right? And so um, I do love that, that they're melt, you know, kind of mending that, melding that with uh, Zubia just, just smashing balls and the hammer hitting balls 500 feet, you know, so uh, best of both worlds, but just make sure you don't open yourself to the vulnerability of both swinging for the fences, which again is strikeouts, um, and small ball, which again, you can't leave runners on. So you got to find that identity uh, in the bats. And, and I like it, right? If you if you can find that, if it takes 11 innings, sure, but if you can find that and you have the mental toughness to get there and, and, and work through it, then and I like it. I like where this team is a lot. That's part of the problem with power hitters is sometimes you're going to foul out. Sometimes you're going to hit a couple, hit a couple foul, or you're going to pop out. Or you're going to hit a couple foul and, and end up behind on the count when you probably should have scored. So that's that's again, I think as the season goes on and as they continue to get into Big Twelve play, we'll see uh, some of those things tighten up. And again, they're 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 not undefeated in Big Twelve play, but they've won the the series they've got series wins in all their big 12 contests and so hopefully that will continue they've got a midweek matchup against that that school from over there in maroon uh before kicking off a weekend series against kansas yeah I, I, it, this would be a great time to keep their sec hate up they swept obviously the last sec school they played in south carolina um i don't 
think that uh, A&M is better than, than any of the SEC teams that UT has played. So it should be just, a, you know, like an incarnate word. One of those little uh, local, in-state, uh, not very, not as good as Texas midweek games just happens to be against a team that, uh, that, that thinks about us a lot. So that brings us to the part of the show where we give some shine to all of the other sports, including one that just won a natty, and we down the 40. So, Kyle, the men's swimming and diving team, just another day at the office, won a national championship, number mm-hmm. 15 all-time, number 56 overall for the school, second highest team point total in school history, just like two and a half points behind 2000 and one. And so fresh off the heels of lighting the tower orange with a big one five on it, Eddie Reese decided that it's his time to pack up his speedo and go <laughs> going out on top with the championship is a heck of a way to do it. Yeah. Uh, at the time when I saw him hop in the pool, uh, as, as he's done 15 times uh, uh, for national championships, it was cool. And, and and I didn't realize at that moment to savor it extra because that was the last time head coach Eddie Reese was going to jump in. Um, again, 15 dips uh, as the national championship coach is, is a lot. Um, but I did a little research on his bio. And, guys, it's even more impressive than you might have thought. Um, it's... It's 43 seasons at Texas, 15 national championships. Oh, also 12 runner-ups and 34 top three finishes, right? Uh, 40 consecutive top 10 finishes. The, the the craziest thing, 41 consecutive conference titles, which is so silly. The craziest thing is his first year at Texas, he finished 21st at the championships. Since then, he's never finished lower than seventh. Like, <laughs> again... That's just crazy how hard it is to be that good, that consistently at anything. He's the only coach in in sports history to win an NCAA title in five different decades. That will most likely never, ever be done again. It's just crazy. Again, the consistency and longevity. Multiple-time assistant, three-time head coach of the U.S. uh, Olympic men's swimming team, 73 National champions swam under him 50 championship relays. That's through the 2020 season. I think they haven't announced all uh, for this year. Um, you know, and, and again, you also have a litany of unbelievable uh, divers that have been under the, the swimming and diving program. Shouts to our boy Jordan Wendell. Um, you know, he, he is, I think they said 263 was the number I was able to find. All-Americans, 29 Olympians, uh, almost 40 gold medals, another 16 silver and 8 bronze uh, are from the Eddie Reese tree. Uh, Multiple-time coach of the year. Just, he's done everything that you could possibly do in a sport. And what we'll find out is, is, you know, I think he's the greatest coach to to walk the 40 acres of all time. Um, And we'll find out, is it the dynasty that he's built continues on or is it the cult of Eddie that really led to all of this success? And it's, it's sad to have to think about it, but we knew it had to come at some point after 43 years of consistency, there had to be, had to be some kind of change. Eddie Reese is not just an incredible coach. He's an incredible man. One of the most interesting, like interesting men in sports period, but um, inducted into the Texas sports hall of fame 19 years ago and just decided to keep it to keep it running to run it back 19 more times so no that's big wild. deal that's why uh international swimming hall of fame in 2002 again was like hey i'm not done i may already be a hall of famer but i'm not done so happy trails hook em horn to i'll just go ahead and say it probably the greatest coach in any sport in school history and darren let me just i think you're right and let me just say this to all our listeners, I know you want this for us, but Gerald and I, when we are inducted into the Podcasting Hall of Fame, which, you know, a few years away, I don't know if we'll go another 20 years. We might go out on top. When we get into the Podcasting Hall of Fame, that might be it. So I know you're torn. You're probably writing into the Podcasting Hall of Fame every year, submitting Gerald and I. Um, but just know, if that happens, you may not get 20 more years of this podcast. We may just retire, go out on top. It's tough. To wake up every morning, put your flippers on with that same dedication. The opportunities to go out on top are few and far between. <laughs> and I will take them. <laughs> so, speaking of on back on top, number 
Two, women's tennis. Swept Baylor. Always feels good to beat Baylor. Seven, nothing. Head coach Howard Joffe earned win number 100 as the head coach of the Longhorns. That's actually their 10th win over ranked opponents this year. Uh, Going up against Texas State midweek before taking on a conference foe over the weekend. Number seven men's tennis beats number 29 South Florida. Six to one. Six straight win for them. That run includes four overranked opponents. Next up, again, an opportunity to beat a ranked opponent and somebody to hate. The number eight Texas A&M Aggies. Uh, You got to love all this top 10 Texas that we're talking about, but there's nothing better than a top 10 Texas win over a top 10 Texas A&M and just, just have them, have them go, go doubly sad and gently into that good night. Can't wait. Back on the diamond, the softball team, number eight in the country wins four, not one, not two, not three, but four this weekend at the Bevo classic six to five over South Dakota, two to one over UT Arlington, eight Oh and five over UTSA, 9-1 in 6 over UT Arlington, bringing our run rule counter to 11 on the year. Yeah, the, the other thing that they did, they, they had two more to the run rule counter, which is beautiful, unbelievable, incredible. They also went ahead and won against UT Arlington 2-1 to one on a suicide squeeze, Gerald. They, they squeezed it off. They literally stole home uh, or bunted home on a suicide squeeze uh, to walk off. I mean... Amazing, amazing. Uh, the, the, it's hard to pick this weekend. You know, baseball beating OU was beautiful. Obviously, the 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 Sweet Sixteen victory for women's basketball, the the squeeze walk off uh, for for the softball team. Uh, oh, a lot of good good feelings. Absolutely. Speaking of good feelings, Texas soccer continues to be undefeated on the spring season with a three nothing win over Texas A and M Corpus Christi and. And so heading to what was an understated but still one of the best sporting events all year, Texas realized Tara Davis just went ahead and set another, broke her own national record, continues just absolutely be incredible. The men won the 4 by 4 set a school record there. Um, so in the initial outdoor poll, the women sitting at number two, the men sitting at number four. So again, more top 10 Texas. It's beautiful. I mean, you could add up all of the Texas program's numbers next to their name right now, and it's like 60. I mean, it's crazy how good uh, all of Texas sports right now. If we just get that football number, it's probably the highest one. Uh, it's, it's all right. We're working on that. But, yeah, top 10 Texas is just in strong play, triple T out. Jared, let's move it on now to the burnt orange lenses. Take a look at some of the rest of the world, some of our alumni, some of our folks associated with the university and what they are doing. Take a look at the world through burnt orange lenses gerald the uh, nba trade deadline has come and gone it's an interesting one because there was a lot of longhorns on the move and not just at the deadline but in this trade window six longhorns out of the 11 more than half have new teams Marcus aldridge um took i'd say a gentlemanly deal with the spurs saved them some money actually just gave back eight million uh on his buyout which is a good match i appreciate that um to go have a chance to to play for a title team as i joked with nick uh earlier miami thought he was going there ended up with the brooklyn nets kind of replacing the jared allen role of needing two longhorns on that team which they would have kept him it would have been to my knowledge, the first three Longhorn team. Um, but, uh, and also uh, Royal Ivy uh, coaching up there uh, for the time being. Four, four, could have been a four Longhorn team. Uh, but the uh, PJ for DJ trade as well, Rockets and Bucks. PJ Tucker, again, veteran uh, looking for a championship, heading up to Milwaukee to join Giannis and the boys. Um, DJ Augustin, unfortunately, heading to Houston. And But since he arrived, he ended a 20-game losing streak. So good for you, DJ Augustin. I don't know if it was 100% you, but, but good for you. I hate to admit this, but right now, if you're a, a fan who roots exclusively for the team with the most Longhorns, you either are choosing two right now on the Nets or uh, two on the Rockets with DJ and Avery. Although Avery Bradley is a likely candidate for a buyout uh, for a team looking for a veteran who's a 3 and D guy. He was part of the Lakers. Lakers championship team, um, so he he has the the experience. So. Um, Maybe won't have to root for the Rockets. I hope not. But also moving where Jared Allen was the first one in the James Harden deal, went from the Nets to the Cavs, and then Corey Joseph recently from the Kings to the Pistons. Again, we we, we feel bad for you, Corey, but just go show out. Be the guy on a not particularly good team. But there were four Longhorns who stayed put. Excuse me, five. I, I shouldn't have uh, forgot Mobamba there. Uh, Kevin Durant, 
Miles Turner, Tristan Thompson on the Celtics, Mo Bamba uh, down in Orlando, and then, of course, Jackson Hayes on the Pelicans. And Gerald, one of those leads me to my trivia this week. Gerald, how many games this season has Miles Turner had zero blocks? How many games have they played so far this year? They have played 40 or 41. I think 40 or 41. Zero games. That is correct. The correct answer is he has zero. He has every single game recorded at least, at least one uh, block. Uh, how many has he had only one block, Gerald? Zero games. No, unfortunately, he has had <laughs> seven games this year with one. But that means he has, again, if it's 41 uh, or 40, he has over 30 games with multiple blocks. Um, he is the league, league leader by a good chunk in in blocks, the R vote for Defensive Player of the Year, and actually broke Jermaine O'Neal's uh, consecutive games with a block uh, franchise record for the Pacers. I think that was 54. Dating back to last year, he's now um, at 60. So he, uh, or 59, I believe, again, depending when uh, this goes out, if he has another block in the next game. But um, either way, has set the Pacers franchise record for consecutive games with a block. Just Miles Turner... Defensive Player of the Year, Cowboy Hat Wearer of the Year. Both both awards, uh, very likely for the guy uh, recently in Dallas, rocked the heck out of a uh, out of a cowboy hat on his trip home. But uh, yeah, Gerald, there's a lot of a lot of uh, Longhorns in the NBA to like. Any, anything else standing out to you? My biggest question is like, do people want? Kevin Durant to just play with nobody like to play one on five and win a championship like what like what is this guy like he's just kind of playing the game like that's what basketball is nowadays so like get over it let the guy enjoy uh, building a team around him and, and let him be let him be the dude. Yeah, absolutely. He just needs to figure out a way to uh, to get Tristan Thompson, who's currently 17th in the league in rebounds, uh, to leave Boston and head up to Brooklyn, or uh, you know, get Jared Allen back because uh, Jared Allen's actually killing it since he left uh, Brooklyn. He's seventh in the NBA in blocks, twelfth in rebounds, and I think he's averaging like 15 and 12 in his past 10 games. He's just he's really uh, figuring it out. He's doing great. Um, so uh, a, a loss, but somehow they they've replaced it with more Longhorn fire. Power. So, Gerald, moving off of the NBA to the women's ba- back to the women's basketball arena, former coach Karen Asin. We spent a lot of time talking about Vic Schaefer, and we adore him. But uh, UT had a pretty good coach before, and Karen Aston uh, has found her next gig. She was just today named the head coach of the UTSA Roadrunners. So, again, we rep all things 210 here on this podcast, Gerald and I, and Kyra Lambert, all hailing from, and Doug Hutto, all hailing from the 210 Countdown City. Uh, but Karen Aston. Exciting news for her. Staying in the UT system. I mean, she's a heck of a coach. I think UTSA is going to be one of those teams in the in the ladies the women's tournament uh, that does big things. Because again, you and I were very confused when they didn't renew her contract because she was good at Texas, uh, and then we found out that they got Vic Schaefer. So that's like that's a thing. But she's a great coach, and I'm I'm really glad that she's um, repping the Countdown City. Absolutely. There's some golf going on in Austin. We talked about. Three different Longhorns uh, being involved. It was not Dylan Fratelli. It was not Jordan Spieth. There was a Longhorn who finished in the top two, which the top two spots get a million bucks. 1.8 for the winner. A paltry 1.15 for the runner-up. With a paltry 1.15 million to the runner-up. Scotty Scheffler, reigning rookie of the year. Banking a milli uh, at his hometown course. You love to see it. Uh, Wish he could have won it, but hey. Second place in, in, in a cool $1.5 million. I am excited for uh, Jordan Spieth to add another you know $190K uh, to his uh, and Dylan Fratelli as well because they both made it to the, the round of 16. So uh, good for you guys. Must be nice. <laughs> All right, Joe, let's keep it rolling. Uh, let's look at what we have been watching on our giant screens. We'll go to Godzilla Tron. Gerald, what have you been watching? Uh, so not a ton of watching. Basically, as soon as my kids go to bed at this point, uh, I'm I'm pretty much headed to bed as well. If you know anything about sleep regressions and babies, we're in the middle of one of those. So anytime I'm not holding a screaming, not wanting to sleep baby, I'm trying to close my eyes as well. But I did when I was doing the yard work over the weekend because we got our first mow of the year in. Uh, start a new audio book. Uh, it's called Think Again by Adam Grant. He's a uh, he's got a master's of like organizational psychology and organizational development, which is actually 
uh, the field I'm in. And so his, this book is all about like reassessing and readdressing your deeply ingrained thoughts and beliefs. And so he's not coming at it from, from any partisan angle. He's not coming at it from any angle other than like you owe it to yourself to think deeply about how you think. And it's a really, really good read. It's really interesting, really thought-provoking, really challenging for me. So if you're into that kind of reading, Think Again by Adam Grant. Real, real good stuff. And he wrote a book with a Longhorn a couple years back as well. Very cool. I love it. So, Gerald, I one of my favorite movies from childhood was uh, was Varsity Blues. We joked about it at the top from of the childhood. show. Uh, with your Lance Harbor. Um, you know, uh, I know all about what happens on the glass at the Kiwanis Club, but I will say this, that uh, I watched a different Varsity Blues, in fact, this weekend, Gerald. I watched Operation Varsity Blues, Netflix's new uh, show chronicling the uh, the college admissions scandal. Um, you know, we, we were familiar with it in Texas. We just talked a lot about two of the top programs on campus with men's and women's uh, tennis. Uh, Bruce Burke is a legend for winning a national championship in the midst of former UT coach being a part of this uh, this scandal. So craziness all around, um, but it didn't focus on that. The center never came up in it, but they really focused on a lot of the, the wealthy um, folks who use this side door into colleges. If you're not familiar, basically, um, the if somehow you were under a rock, uh, over the course of like 25 years, like I think 700, 800 different uh, students uh, were were allowed in by um, a, a a faulty or, or or you know Ponzi shrewd whatever however you want to say businessman named Rick Singer who um, basically created what he called the side door into colleges that would be difficult to get in but if you had money um, you could buy in for a fraction of the cost of donating forty million just one maybe um, and he would make your kid an athlete on a not as marquee not as um, scrutinized sport so it might be in the case of Lori Laughlin and Massimo Giannulli, uh it may be you know Rushed getting it. two daughters uh, on the um, rowing team, which you know they never rowed. But I'm almost positive that Massimo logo looked like a guy who would row. Um, but I don't think that counts. Uh, the water polo um, again, tennis is probably one of the more high profile ones. Um, but you had a lot of sailing, um, you know, just the sports that. Maybe unless you listen to this podcast, you don't know. Again, rowing number two in the country sits in, in Austin at UT. Um, but at uh, at other schools, you may be able to sneak these things in. It, the, the, it was an interesting documentary because it was played. Um, they took transcripts and then it was kind of dramatized and acted out. And Matthew Modine plays uh, the, the main character, like a guy you've definitely seen in lots and lots of things. Um, but you kind of forget it. Probably played by, by Matthew and, Modine. <laughs> Correct, um, but yeah, so it was it was quite good. I'd recommend it. Um, it might make you very mad if you don't, as Gerald and I, um, and I don't want to speak for Gerald, of course. I'll speak for myself. If you don't come from outrageous means where your parents have a couple million dollars laying around to um, buy your way into elite colleges like the University of Texas, for instance. By the way, proud of us that we made that list. Um, you know, of elite places, it shows we're still we're still the Joneses academically as well. Um, but it, it, it should make you, if you are an alumni listening to this podcast, proud of your efforts to earn your way in. Um, but it might make you angry at the people who who kind of flagrantly violated that process and that trust uh, via their means. And um, it's mostly you know that one percent uh, crowd that uh, bought their way in, and it is it is a little bit infuriating. Um, uh, but again, it's a good watch. I, I'd recommend it. So the craziest part to me is like, for example, uh, there was a, a friend I made in, in a geology class early in my college career who had never rode before, got into Texas on her own merits and got a scholarship. Like never rode before, but they were like, hey, we need a tiny person to sit on the front of the boat and yell stuff. And she got a scholarship for that because they had unused scholarships. So like, I'm not for like fraud. Don't hear me saying that, but like just maybe if you could afford to like pay to get your kid into a school, maybe just pay to get them some test prep and try to let them get in on their own merits. And then like getting a rowing scholarship uh, at some schools, they're just waiting for people to take them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know uh, what else to say. I don't know what else to say. That's yeah. fine. So, 
That brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruby. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? So, Gerald, I'm, I'm going to take one more moment to to wish Shaka Smart a congratulations on his way out. Um, to review the, the, the items that, that Nick came on and talked to us about in recruiting um, and, and, and look at the job that Vic Schaefer has done uh, and, and how unbelievable it is and, and reiterate my faith in Cristo Conti. Um, there were people who, who didn't necessarily love the, the, his, his most hope high profile hiring in, in coach Sarkeesian uh, at the time. I feel like as Sark has, has kind of engendered himself, made himself known and, and relatively quickly beloved to, to the Longhorn faithful. Um, some of most of that, I would say has thawed. I think the more urban Meyer looks like a, uh, um, not a great guy. I'll say it that way. Uh, and, 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 and a real jerk to work with and for, uh, with the Jaguars, it shows, thank God, um, we don't have to do that. Uh, but, uh, you know, as he built out his staff and, and brought, Coach K from Washington and, and some of the best recruiters in the country, some of the best developers in the country. I feel like the hype train has been a moving. Well, Crystal Conte, as we noted, Shaka Smart will be going. We'll be hiring someone, anyone, a coach to fill Shaka Smart's boots and follicles. Um, you know, again, I hate that Shaka with 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 the shock fro got got fired, but. Uh, the hair needs to stay. I hope it follows him to Marquette. But whoever has to come and fill the boots and fill the follicles of, of one Shaka Smart, I hope that we are patient. We talked about how much of a rebuild it's going to be. If it's Chris Beard, great. If it's a coach of, of, of stature who's been around a while and done things at other programs and you expect that to transfer day one, I'm not going to go through the list of five or ten names that I've been hearing. If it's a coach who has an association to the program, but maybe hasn't had a chance to, to hone his head coach chops. I have faith based on experience that Crystal Conti will make a great hire. will make a good decision. I think that one of the things that is required, however, in ensuring success is that we as fans, both one, Give the coach a chance. Give him time. Don't jump on the first loss. Don't expect, again, a, a Final Four run to immediately come in year one when the roster... He, he, they, they will not have a, a Charlie Collier on the women on the men's side, unfortunately, a, a number one pick sitting on the roster you know, to, to, to do it with, right? Um, it's going to be a challenge. So, so one, be patient. And two, there has been a national pandemic. It's been wild. We haven't got to go and support our teams. My prayer, my hope, my thought is that this new coach will eventually open up the new arena, um, but but will coach one more year in the Irwin Center. My hope is that once we're allowed to go back to games in force, welcome this coach in. It doesn't have to be because he is undefeated and it has a 20-game win streak. Go in and root and do the thing that Matt said, you know, come early, be loud, stay late, wear orange. Uh, try to keep the, the social media toxicity to a, a minimum. And, and, and truly... Try your darndest to give it a wholesome and genuine, optimistic and positive attempt at whoever they hire to support the team and truly support it and 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 hope for the best and 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 cheer and will them on because I think rabid fan base who loves and supports you saw it in Shaka's press conference talking about Marquette can give you five points a night. It could sway a close game. And how many games that Texas basketball played this year came down to the last possession one way or the other? Go out, support the team enthusiastically and full-throatedly, and then when you go home and log on the internet, try to do it there too. Let's not fulfill the stereotype of what everybody thinks Texas fans are. Can we just do that for a little bit? <laughs> that would that would be great. So I'm, I'm going a little bit off script and, and give me a little weird one. I'm banging the drum... Uh, this week on, um, I, I, I owe Dallas stars fans an apology. <laughs> so our friend, Mike Roach has come on the podcast to talk about his love of, of, of hockey. And I, I wanted to get into hockey and I wanted to see, um, just what, you know, it seems like fun and hockey fans seem like a really good crowd to, to be around and associate with. And stars Twitter was very welcoming to me, um, early in the season, but I seem to have brought my sports luck with me. So the Dallas Stars are 11 and 12 
on the year and just just not they're struggling. We'll just go ahead and say it. Uh, so I sincerely, with every ounce of me, apologize for following the team this year because it is absolutely my fault that they are not not doing as well. They're eleven twelve and so they're they're below five hundred and and just really struggling. The, the the things that I was really excited about after like two games have not absolutely borne themselves out for the rest of the season. And again, as someone who's a lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, a Texas fan since, you know, 2002, 2003, um, the majority of my time as being a fan of those teams has not been fun. So I want to apologize for bringing that stink on all of you. <laughs> you know what, Gerald? Stick it out. The Miami Dolphins recently had their best, you know, a couple seasons, good hires, uh, a competent front office, had their, their best, like, week of front officing. They turned uh, Laramie Tunsil's leaked video of him doing All illicit activities uh, into basically, like, 173 draft picks that, that will effectively rebuild uh, their organization. So The bong that keeps on him. <laughs> That's good. Uh, no, you, you. I thought you'd go low, but you went high with that one. Um, no, the um, the Dolphins are. I think they're turning that corner. So here's the thing, Gerald. The Stars fans just need to know you're going to tank them for a decade, but eventually it'll get good. It's been longer than a decade for the Dolphins. <laughs> they've, been tr- they've been really on the struggle bus since '99 when Dan Marino retired. But that's totally fine. It's it hasn't been 22 years of just absolute futility but that's all we've got for you (laughs) this week kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet oh you can follow me on twitter at kyle carbon you can also follow the texas pregamer at texas pregamer you can follow me on twitter i'm at gh goodrich follow the show on twitter at longhorn pod you can follow us on facebook and instagram the longhorn republic you can also catch me on my other podcast two woke nerds we're diving in deep on some of the social commentary we're loving to see from falcon and the winter soldier that will be out on wednesday thank you so much for tuning in again this week and until next time hook up hook up if it ain't burnt get into